This is the Ignition Show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to or welcome back to our podcast. My name is Chris Jansen, host of the Ignition Show, where our aim is to create meaningful conversations with switched-on people about things that matter, matter in the pursuit of your potential, and igniting the flame within you to live your best and full life. Now, one decision I made early on in the pursuit of my potential was the vital importance of health. For decades, I've treated health as my number one value. I invest in it, I train it, I continue to be an active student of what is needed to develop vitality, especially as you go through the stages of life. So I'm excited to bring to you someone today who knows way more on this topic than I do. His name is Kyle Brown, and Kyle and I first met about two years ago when he was, he commented on a random Facebook post I put on Facebook. I was looking for some support, some expert support for a client of mine, and we ended up having a conversation and immediately connected over so many aspects of personal growth and development, mindset, health, and also the, the challenges that mistakes people make when trying to improve, optimize, or transform their physical well-being. No doubt this is a category full of information, misinformation, confusion, and for many people, overwhelm. With his years of being in the trenches with some of the most famous people on the planet, literally the most famous people on the planet, with the best minds and bodies, Kyle brings a sharp clarity and cuts through the noise to tell you like it is. I hope you enjoy this conversation and be sure to capture in whatever way you can the key ideas and insights that resonate with you, that you'll use to ignite your ultimate health your ultimate vitality, and your ultimate potential. Enjoy the conversation. On today's show, we're speaking with Kyle Brown. By trade, Kyle is a celebrity fitness and nutrition coach, the CEO of Fit365 Shakes, and ESPN radio host. He's been a go-to resource for some of the world's leading Fortune 500 organizations, transforming the minds and bodies of top CEOs, professional and Olympic athletes, and over 50 of the world's biggest celebrities. But that only scratches the surface of who Kyle really is. Kyle's an entrepreneur, a dad of two, and a passionate advocate for health and fitness lifestyle who takes a holistic approach to wellness, knowing that true success and health and happiness is an inside job. Kyle, welcome to The Ignition Show. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Chris. My pleasure. My pleasure. So there's lots of different ways I'd like to take this conversation. I think we'll, we'll naturally flow, but kind of where I, th I thought it would be an interesting place to start with is that the fact that you've had an opportunity to help people who are seen as the best in their business, top athletes, celebrities, and CEOs, people who maybe to the outside world seem to have it all together. If you pull back the curtain and reveal to the world how these elite performers really act and live and think when no one is watching, what would surprise us? I think what would surprise most people is that they have the exact same fears, upper limiting belief. Um, they question themselves at that same level as the rest of us with just high intense pressure, which is why so many do tend to offshoot that information onto either drugs, alcohol, some other form of vice. Um, but what they do is they don't let it keep them in that analysis paralysis they take action mm. over and over and over and over again and the one thing that is the most unique besides the taking of action is that their ceiling on potential and scalability that they truly believe is potential 
is the numbers that most people blurt out on the outside, but don't truly believe in their heart. Mm. And so for, for example, um, you know, don't have to name any names, but what, what's inspired you when you, when you are around these people who are, who are at the top of the game and, and really believe that there is no, no upper limit to their potential? What inspires you or what really catches your, catches your heart and soul when you're around those people? You know, the, uh, so I've, I've been at this game about 20 years and I would say the, the Kyle in his twenties was really excited by the actors and the rock stars that were pushing the idea of like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, have X number of fans. And a lot of it was more, uh, intrinsic value and worth. The ones who are inspiring me the most were after conversation, I'm like almost shaking. I'm buzzing with so much enthusiasm are the ones who are focused on being world changers, the ones who are thinking about legacy, the ones who are thinking about, okay, how can we change the world as we know it? And not just in a PSA sort of way, but the ones who want to change policy, who want to just really focus on impact. Those are the ones that really get me buzzing the most. That's great. That's great. What, what, what would you say um, you've been in this game for a while? What's the impact that you want to have? What do, what do you... <clears throat> What's inspiring you to act yourself? Uh, well, I sat back and um, I've had my clients for a while start by writing their own eulogy as one of their first chores. Yes. <laughs> it's been a pretty profound uh, experience for many of them. And for me, uh, I've always been in that situation where I've thought, okay, I really want to impact world changers and and have a rippling effect in that way. But I've also been your typical CEO entrepreneur who's hustle, hustle, hustle all day long. And uh, having gotten sick this past January, I ended up with severe pneumonia. I was uh, in critical condition, just totally out of nowhere. It really shifted for me the importance of uh, not waiting <laughs> on uh, once I have X, then I can do why. And I think that is a, a key problem for a lot of uh, busy leaders is that we tend to go, I'm going to push, push, push now on business. Everything else is going to be sitting over here on a shelf, mm. waiting, hitting a pause button. And I've preached that for a while. I've practiced it in many ways. But now I'm really just, if it's important to you, it's important to invest just like you would in your business. And for me, I've really been making that a new priority because I know that at the end of the day, um, legacy is not only how you're remembered, but it's also how those who are inspired by your action then take their own actions and extend that on uh, and continue to inspire others. Yeah, it's certainly something I, I see as well with a lot of people that I coach or run workshops for and you get into the real into the into the conversations of what's really going on for them. And a lot of achievers, um, they certainly, they want it all. And yet they often are caught with that dilemma of, I've got to make some sacrifices to your point, right? It's like, I will take care of one aspect of my life, you know, the old wheel of life. Uh, some of it is, uh, is, is fully addressed and some of it is very neglected. And, um, so there's no doubt at times we need to make choices, but when, I guess when it comes to, um, when it comes to wanting it all, 
or I guess maybe a bit more accurate way. It might be a way people express it, but maybe a more accurate thing what they're really seeking is they want to excel in a variety of areas in their life, professionally and personally. And when someone comes to you and they're, maybe they're feeling a little overwhelmed or you know, stuck in that analysis paralysis, what have you found has been a helpful way to get those people to uh, get out of that analysis paralysis and take take action or at least get the clarity that they need? What what are some of the drivers that you see are important to keep, to keep in mind at that stage? Well, I think the first thing is awareness. Um, most people are so married to the words, I'm too busy, yeah. that they haven't sat back and dissected what does that really mean. And especially I see this in the fitness wellness place, like, oh, I'll get to that later, or just give me this seven-minute workout, <laughs> and they'll give you this, this tiny little factor of time. When I know they spend more time on the toilet, and I know they spend more time on social media, and I know that nobody – is that efficient with their day that they really only have seven minutes. What it is is that they're just not efficiently using their time. So what I do for most of them and what really gets them to break through is by reframing the benefits. They're basing all of this on something that's really small and not that significant to them. It's not a must. And that's usually something like fat loss, um, you know, not having as much energy, but they feel like they can solve that with caffeine, even though it's not really truly energy anyway. And what they're not sold on is how this will create more time and get them out of that sloppy, foggy, what I call fathead, which is making them incredibly inefficient in business. That's killing their confidence and that is keeping them from doing more of what they're really passionate about which is growing their business and making more money. When they can see that and how that opens up even more time so they can win in those other categories of life that they've been putting on the shelf, then it tends to click. Yeah, I agree with that. Whenever I've personally, I've been training for a big event like an Ironman or a marathon or back in, back in university when I played football, I was always more switched on in all aspects of my life when I had the least time. And sometimes those, that's a positive time constraint um, to uh, really help people either by either consciously or just by by nature to really get clear on what their true priorities are. Yeah. So so I would say that's 50, 50 percent of the game is that the other 50 percent that doesn't get talked about is your fuel source. Yeah. So the biggest reason people don't start is because they equate it with a chore. Right. It's like saying, can you write a business plan? That just sucks. Can you can you create some spreadsheets and send them over my way? Yippee. Like I'll get to those when it's last worst case scenario that doesn't fire people up when they're lit by enthusiasm. Um, there go. Right. If you look at any visionary, any dreamer, any any high achiever, the spark, the catalyst is always enthusiasm. It's, I want to build this incredible thing. I want to create this. I want to dominate this. I want to do something. And they're so fired up that, that they'll move mountains to make it happen. But they have to have that same level of enthusiasm around what they eat, around how they train, around just being this healthy, fit entity, or else it's not going to last anyway. Every obstacle will just knock them down. And they know this in business but they just need to know it in their health and body too. And they tend not to. 
So they push, push, push on a short-term diet and then done. Yeah. And really what you're, what you're really leading into there is the, I mean, it's, it's an understatement to say the critical importance, but we're really talking about the mindset. You know, people want to transform their, their body or their business. And I know where we're both aligned is that all, it all starts with what goes on inside and um, the, the mindset, the beliefs, the perspective, how you're framing things, everything you just said. And I know you, you, you recently, um, you recently posted on, on Facebook. I saw you, you, I thought it was a really interesting comment you made. You said one of the fastest ways you can tell if someone's going to transform their body or their business is based on the number and detail of thoughtful questions they ask. What do you mean by that? Uh, yes. Um, if somebody really wants to make change or really do anything differently, they're going to ask a lot of questions because they want to see how is this outside information fit into my real world and how can I make this, you know, make the conditions work for me. So anytime I sat down with somebody and they're like basically approaching it, like I want to do X, just give me the executive summary and okay, go done. They fail guaranteed. Anytime someone sits down, they start asking really thought out questions uh, in response to the information because their, their, their brain starts turning. They start thinking like, okay, how is this going to work compared to what I'm already doing? Pretending that you're going to become this completely different human being is a huge problem with these diets because they think, oh, well, this is just for the next 21 days, I'm going to be this completely different entity. The, the, you know, transformation is a combination of an art and a science. And a lot of the art form is making the conditions work for you and meeting you where you're at. So if you don't really look at, okay, what's my day to day? I can't sit down, for example, with a busy CEO who's a single guy and say, all right, I want you to cook all your meals at home the same way I would for somebody who's got, you know, a family of five. It just doesn't make sense. The conditions are totally different. So you need to, uh, you need to look at all of those factors and the individual needs to look at those factors of what their lifestyle is like, you know, how much they're traveling, all of that to make those conditions. So they're going to ask really thoughtful questions. And so what, if someone wants to make a significant change, what are the, what are some of the questions that you would suggest they, they consider or should they, that they should be asking? Um, really map out the closest thing to their their typical day i think they should be asking about um how to eat out on the go um if there's somebody who's like a busy leader for example if there's somebody who's traveling a lot i think they should ask how do i make my workouts work in any environment you know i have clients all throughout the world that have different ways to be able to overcome those obstacles uh, the other question they should really ask is how is this going to fit into my social life and my dating life? If they're, if they're single, for example, um, they need to figure out how can they make it, make their food work for, uh, their dating life and their business social life. And they also have to figure out how is this going to work in my family life? If, if you're a parent and you have kids how are you going to make the food work so that you don't have to cook three or four or five different types of meals every single time you sit down? 
how can you create synergy and unity within your household around food, uh, for example, is it's paramount. Not everybody has to eat the same, but you all have to be pretty much on a similar page um, unless you're just going to do a meal delivery service, which I find that they can be helpful, but they can't be permanent uh, solutions. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, when I listen to all those um, areas that you're suggesting people look at, which I totally agree with, is it almost also sounds like what we're really the part of the benefit of asking those kind of questions is it allows people just to really slow down. You know, you deal with a lot of people who are busy business people, busy leaders or travelers or certain people with families and our pace of life that we're working, working at now, pace of work, pace of life, it's ever increasing. And people are, you know, both of you and I in our different worlds have constantly dealing with people who are, would say that they're always on the go. And so by asking yourself questions, I agree, it's a great strategy to allow yourself to slow down a little bit. And, you know, one of, one of my uh, um, favorite sayings that I pick up from the, the Navy SEALs and others, others in the military is that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And sometimes slowing down, you need to slow down to speed up. And um, um, what else do you think are beyond asking the questions, if people really want to make a change? What are other, some of the strategies or I guess mindsets, but let's start with the mindset, other mindsets that they need to, or should consider before they embark on something of making a real commitment of change? Well, uh, I have this thing with fit CEO, which is all based on a four M framework, which is your motive, your mindset, your mastery and your momentum. And the first thing that they have to spend the most time on is digging into their motive, why they really want to make these changes and really then utilizing skills like creative visualization to understand what does it look like? You know, if you're fa most people just focus on what they want to lose, right? Whatever you focus on expands. If you're sitting, you're saying, I want to lose 25 pounds. All you're focusing on now is 25 pounds of fat. And, you know, as you know, your subconscious mind can't tell the difference between what you want and don't want. So if you're just focusing on 25 pounds of fat, you start wondering, why am I not losing 25 pounds of fat? Because your whole focus is on the fat. Yep. Instead, you yep. have to have this very clear vision of what do you look like six months, a year out from right now? What do you look like? Who have you inspired? How do you feel? And, and a clear driving force you know, your big why behind this transformation and also really making sure in all those actions that you have those little whys down um, behind the different actions. If you don't understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, the purpose, and you're just doing it to check it off of things to do list, you're not going to do it right, <laughs> right? That goes for work, that goes for dating, that goes for sex, that goes for everything. It's not just something you check off a list. You have to have a very clear understanding motive, something that literally lights you up so that I'll give you an example. If you walk into the gym, this is one place I see people make a huge mistake. They walk into the gym. They've got their workout of the day that has been designed by either their trainer. They got it offline. They're following along with the person who is in the gym near them and they're trying to figure out their system of sorts. And if they have a sheet, for example, sitting in front of them that says you need to do three sets of 10 reps of bench press at X amount of weight, 
they kind of push and go through the motions, but their intensity is not a factor that they've focused on. Mm -hmm. Yet if they have a clear vision of where they want to go, instead of having, let's say, a 4 out of 10 in intensity, they could walk in the door with a 9 or 10 out of 10 in intensity. And the workout is a completely different experience when they're focused, their intention is strong, their intensity is high, and their motive for why they're even going through and pushing through this workout is so aligned that that same person who's doing three sets of 10 versus the other person who's doing the same three sets of 10 is doing so much more than just checking it off their sheet. They're truly changing their body. Yes. You know, there's been a lot of talk on, on, on the note of changing body. A lot of talk in recent years, um, the language that's used in, in marketing and gyms and, and just overall in health and wellness is transformation. You know, I think when growing up, it used to be, oh, go, go exercise. It's healthy. Then it was a little bit more of get fit. Uh, now it seems in the last decade or so, it's all about the transformation. What does it really mean? I know you, you defined it briefly before you said it's an art, you know, talk about it as an art and science, but what does it really, I suppose, what does it really take to transform your body in a sustainable way? What does it really need to tap into in someone to not only do the work, but to stick to, stick to that new way of being? So the first start of transformation for most people is actually to get pissed off. You got to get angry and you have to be pissed off with the status quo with your current condition. If you're complacent, if it doesn't really burn a hole in your pocket, so to speak, you're not going to really actually change. It's going to be a coulda, shoulda, woulda. So you have to kind of really put a magnifying glass on your present situation and just look at it through that objective reality. That's usually that first step. And again, what happens when you put a magnifying glass with the sun on something, you can burn it, right? Mm -hmm. So that to me is where you got to be. You have to be like, I am pissed off with right now. I'm sick of settling for mediocrity. This is, this is just, you know, it's, it's got to feel like you, like you can't even get air so that you're just so pissed off. You're ready to make that change. Now, the problem is most people do that through like short-term motivation. Yeah. They get excited. They lose a little bit of weight. They start getting a couple compliments and bam, they take their foot off the gas because they believe in this whole concept of maintenance. And I tell people maintenance is something you do on your car, not your body. It doesn't work that way. You're either growing or you're dying at all times. There's no, I want to get to X weight and maintain it, right? If you want to do that, go find a bubble you can live in, hit pause on life and pretend you're not part of this living, breathing ecosystem called planet earth. Nothing works that way. Everything works in a cycle and a system. So you have to be able to work with nature versus try to define nature. It just doesn't work that way. So the most important thing is to start with this really big picture. Back it up like you're looking through a telescope. You're looking down at planet Earth. You're looking at this ecosystem and you're seeing where do I fit in? And am I living up to the best of my ability? And what am I going to do to change it? And true change and transformation always comes from awareness. And I think the people who are just like, well, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah. Um, that never lasts. And CEOs a lot of times are like, just hit me with the executive summary. That's a big mistake in fitness. It's a huge mistake. The executive summary all too often isn't the right executive summary, yeah. right? It's a personal transformation journey. 
And nobody can do that for you. You can't outsource this. Well, and part of the That's- part of the executive summary, you know, it's all you're provi- able really to provide there is the data, the information. I often say when I'm running a workshop, it's like I could summarize this on a one-page PDF and email it to you, but we know that that's not going to have the impact. And I find a lot of transformation in business and in body or in life. It requires, I agree with you, you start with awareness, but it does require some reflection. It requires some tapping into a a deeper part of you or or an alternative part of you that you don't really uh, you don't really look look through that lens very often. And when you talk Absolutely. about when you talk about having to start with pissed off and magnifying that personal situation, is that something that you think can can people do that on their own? And and it, and what does it actually look like? Is it standing in front of the mirror and yelling at yourself, or or what would you suggest? Um, great question. Uh, the first thing I would say is you never get better by knocking yourself down. So sitting there looking in the mirror saying i'm fat i'm this i'm whatever i shouldn't have eaten that chocolate cake kind of like it's fitness confessional (laughs) that never works you know i've seen people who think that they need to be so perfect when they start a nutrition plan that if they have one bad thing it's like they had just uh done meth in a back of a parking lot it's ridiculous it's like you just had a piece of cake it's okay you're not gonna die any earlier because of it Thank you for so, saying that. Thank you for saying that. I had, it was my birthday this week, so I had an extra piece of cake last night, and I wasn't really happy with myself. So I'll, I'll get out of that back alley today. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, give me uh, five hail Kyles and leave your money in the basket on the way out the door. So. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in all seriousness, um, I think you can definitely do it yourself if you ask yourself the right questions. Little kids are genius at this. They just go, why, why, why? And they ask, what is this? You know, my son, who's four, was just sitting here uh, on Sunday. We're sitting here and he goes, you know, what is a soul? What is, you know, why are we here? He was like, why are we, on, why are we born? That was his one question. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's the deepest question I've heard all, you know, year probably. Yes. I'm hearing it from my world. Why are we born? Right. That right there, if you just sit back and let that marinate for a bit, I think that's the ultimate question as far as best questions ever asked. Mm. (laughs) So I sat back for a minute and I think for most people, instead of just the, well, I need to find out my scale weight and I need to find out my body fat percentage and I need to know what my macros are and I need to see what my BMR is to see how many calories. You know what? I have a fitness studio here. And I coach people all around the world for pretty darn high fees. I have not weighed one client in years. I don't own a scale. I don't care what your scale weight is. There is no other animal on the animal planet that knows what their weight is. So really starting it off by getting pissed off with, are you leaving the legacy you want to leave? If you have people around you, friends, spouse, children, business associates, employees, when they look at you, you can lie about darn near anything and probably get away with it. You can lie about, you know, where, if, especially with somebody who doesn't know you, you can lie about your degree, what languages you speak, uh, what country you're from, where you've been, uh, books you've read, darn near everything except for how do you take care of your body. It shows before I even say the word hello. 
So do you want to lead by example in that route? And you just have to make this about so much more than you. And then the second part of being pissed off is, am I being, am I leading by example on that? Because anybody from a kid all the way to an employee, they don't care what you say to them as much as they care about what you show them. And if you are leading by example by doing this sort of stuff and doing it with enthusiasm, it's magnetic. It's going to inspire everyone around you. And that right there is legacy and that's fulfillment. And you're not going to find fulfillment by numbing yourself. You're going to find it by taking massive action and overcoming things you never thought was possible. Yeah. And I think a lot of people in that situation who again want to make a change, they are so focused on the, the tactics, maybe strategy too, but the tactics of, of how to make that change. And sometimes it's, just, it's a blind spot where they, they need to go a little bit deeper. And I think one of the, um, again, coming back to asking thoughtful questions, I think a really helpful starting point for a lot of people is really being honest about what their relationship is with their body. What is their relationship with being healthy? What is it and what do they want it to be? And when they can see it as a relationship that they have in terms of just like you have a relationship with your spouse or your kids or friends or colleagues, how do you treat that person? How do you treat your body? Uh, if you really cared, how would you treat someone? you know, compassion versus empathy, all those things that start to start to show up. And I know you've said that your body is often or what your body physically um, becomes is often a reflection of your own self-worth. How did you, how did you get that level of clarity or, or where do you see that showing up? Yeah, that's definitely one of my key principles. And at first the response I received from a lot of people was like, Oh, it's superficial or you're just saying that because you have a six pack and you've never been fat. But I think where people are missing the boat, um, I got into this fitness very young. Yeah, probably, you know, somewhere around the age of six, eight. I was already lifting weights, trying to be like my older brothers and sister or, you know, my or and dad. And I'm looking at fitness from the beginning as a way to handle, manage and get excited about um, combating anxiety and depression. And I understand that it truly is that best nootropic. It's that best brain builder. And I think for most people, I see people walk in the door here and they may say one thing, but their body says another thing. And when they're exercising, they won't even look in the mirror ever. Their body shame is so high. Their relationship with their body is so low that they can't even look in the mirror when they're exercising. So they'll look at the floor, they'll look at the weights, they'll look at their feet. And I'll be like, eyes up, head up, you know, look in the mirror while you're doing it to watch her. And they physically can't do it because there's such a level of like guilt and shame that is underlying. And if you just sit there and you're beating yourself up for past actions, there's no way you're going to get where you want to go. You have to really start first by realizing that this stuff is fully interconnected with self-worth and you know that also should take people who are too harsh on people who are overweight and understand that there is probably something deeper going on nobody says hey i really want to be sick fat overweight and you know not be able to see my shoes nobody's like that's how i want to be it's usually a reflection of stuff that's going on on the inside relating to how they view themselves, how they view the world and how they handle stress. Yes. 
I, I agree. And I know um, um, there's no doubt that a lot of what shows up in our body physically comes from uh, emotions and emotions still in so many areas of our cultures aren't in some areas it's been, it's wonderful how it's embraced and talked openly about in some areas. It's not certainly not in business. And a lot when people are struggling with their body, um, they, they often is a blind spot of the emotions either that they're holding on to, which is creating a whole series of chemical and hormonal issues, or it's, um, it's, uh, it's showing up in terms of aches and pains that aren't necessarily, it may show end up in physio physiologically, but it really stems from emotions. And, um, what are some of the emotional, what's the mo emotional aspects that you see most common or you think that people, again, who are listening to this might want to, might want to explore? Absolutely. And it's interesting. You were talking about it in relationship to business because at the end of the day, could you imagine somebody walking into like an investor pitch and being like, I'm really nervous and afraid that you may not invest in my company. Mm. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Mm. So I think in business, we're really taught and it's pushed down our throat to make sure that we don't show our poker chips. We don't act too puppy dog enthusiastic. We don't show any type of nerves or fear or concern for where our project is going, uh, especially if you're a leader, you want to show everybody on your team that you have full faith and belief that what you're working on is going to succeed and that any hiccup, it's no big deal, just push through it. And it's it's this required uh, outer appearance uh, for for all business leaders. And on a personal side, then, where do we learn that, hey, when you're at home, when you're in a relationship, when you're in these situations, you should do it differently? Mm. And the answer is, well, there's a time and a place, I think, in most cases, because, <laughs> again, if you're in a good, healthy relationship, yes, you should be able to openly communicate, share your vulnerabilities, connect, everything like that. Um, I wouldn't suggest it on a first date. I've seen some real train wrecks where people walk in and they just dump it all down to somebody they don't know and they, they're not giving the best first impression. So there is a time and a place, but I think the person you need to be honest with the most is yourself. Like, you, like you'd mentioned in the beginning with transformation comes personal development and awareness. And I think if you can look yourself in the mirror, so to speak, and really just be honest with your own habits. I think some people get so used to the lie that they say over and over and over again that they're living in so much denial about certain things like their vices, how much alcohol they really drink, um, what time they go to bed, binge eating at night. They're so used to it that they just don't divulge it. You know, I had a client uh, who we went transformation by transformation by transformation with uh, her. And we started first where we were digging into everything and she had a toxic relationship and that ended up going away. And then we had drinking seven drinks a day, thinking that that was fine for a five foot, you know, female down to maybe about seven a week. And it took almost two years of going through all this and great opportunities till she finally admitted, oh, by the way, I smoke cigarettes. Hmm. And I was like, what? Where did this come from? It just seems like in especially I'm living here in San Diego and 
2019, that's, it's just unheard of, uh, especially for somebody who's so healthy and fit. So I think, uh, just realizing that you don't have to tackle everything at one time, but you just need to be real raw and honest with both yourself and anybody who's there to help you. Yeah. Do you think, do you think some of these these, um, challenges that people bump up into and this, um, the relationship they have with their body, has that changed in recent years? You've been in this industry for almost 20 years. You know, some, some of things around health and fitness, of course, are timeless uh, principles that are timeless, but are we dealing with different, uh, different challenges in our, in our societies and our communities today that maybe have creeped up on, up on us so quickly that we just haven't adapted as well as we should have? Great question and completely different. There's always been an underlining feeling of uh, low self-worth, um, you know, with the women's empowerment movement, uh, for example, a lot of that is starting to change where uh, the voice is being heard. And I think that's phenomenal. But self-worth around body images has changed completely. The first place it's changed is the old physical aesthetic that was ideal for females was something that could fit on a coat rack. Um, if you had a curve, there's a problem. That's really changed and gone away. Um, but it's also gone away with this level of plastic surgery that isn't uh, even symmetrical anymore, uh, isn't natural, isn't, uh, isn't something that the human eye can even recognize as, yes, this is part of the animal kingdom anymore. <laughs> it's almost like, again, if we're being part of the animal kingdom, it's imagine coming across a completely new beast where like a uh, hippopotamus ended up, uh, you know, getting together with a giraffe. You'd be like, what? What is this thing? It just, it, the bits and pieces don't match up anymore. So it's kind of, uh, it's kind of shocking. But what's happening now is, is the obvious issues with social media where people are getting this perception of a combination of softcore fitness porn and Bible quotes mixed together, as well as, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, just your level of expertise is based on how many people hit a button or what machine in China is hitting that button for you, yes. right? You could really see behind the facade you have a wall of machines in China hitting like or auto-commenting. Auto uh, it's mind blowing, but therefore whoever pays the most money for that is now the one with the most knowledge and leadership skills. Um, it's really no different than the old school Charlotte and snake oil salesman, uh, of yesteryear. It's just changed, uh, changed formats and mediums of delivery of information. But I think right now it's really, it's affecting us in a very different way because it's hitting us so young, yes. you know, my my seven-year-old daughter was talking about some stuff that I'm like, I didn't even know she had an awareness of those things. And uh, again, it then becomes the responsibility of the parent uh, and moves on to the responsibility of the individual to redefine self-worth. Yeah, I absolutely agree with all of that. And you, know, you can definitely draw a straight line between, you know, we, we humans by nature – are you know, one of our greatest fears is that we're not enough. And in our physical bodies, that's where it can manifest itself very well. In our cultures at large, uh, with the emphasis on aesthetics, and then you 
you double down on that when you get into the social media world and comparison and self-image and photoshopped images. It can be really a really slippery slope for a lot of uh, a lot of people, let alone perhaps those who are maybe more susceptible or, or have less of a filter, like the like children or young teens. But even people who have been around for decades with lots of wisdom, it can be a slippery slope to compare themselves to others. And it, it kind of takes me back to the first question I, I asked you about what people who are at the top of their game, what would surprise us? And you, you mentioned they have the same fears, same upper, upper, upper limiting beliefs, and they have the same questions. Um, so I just want to loop back to that as we're talking about this, this idea of self-worth. People who are at the top of their game, the same fears. What are one of the things I sometimes I find it, when you realize that you're not alone, and you realize you're you're not the only person who has that fear. It kind of normalizes things and takes the sting out of it. So, what are some of the fears that you see that people that might be perceived by a lot of people seem to, you know, quote unquote, have it all or have it all together? What are some of the fears that if people really understood that even the most beautiful, most successful, most wealthy, most famous people have? Maybe they're, it's not so much of a problem for them either. Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you what one of the bigger fears is, and then I'll tell you what, uh, what I've seen some of them uh, do to address it. And I think they're doing it unconsciously in a lot of ways, which I've found quite fascinating. But one of the biggest things when I've dealt with somebody who's seen a level of high success, either becoming a business celebrity or becoming a you know, rock star, rap star, or, or, you know, someone, someone in those places, it seems like the, the business celebrities are becoming the new celebrities or the YouTube stars. What I've seen is a really strong feeling of this imposter syndrome, where they feel deep down that they're winging it, that they're a fraud and a sham and not good enough, even if they are putting out good information, good value, it's almost like a lack of, they've set this limit where they have this lack of worthiness that how could what I'm doing actually yield this result? I'm, if, if, they, if they figure out who I really am and that I'm just uh, you know a scared little kid just like them, that everyone will stop liking them, stop following them, stop listening to them, stop, stop you know, virtually loving them. So that is something that so many times I see. Now, it's also not something that gets admitted in a just, you know, quick conversation. It's usually like, uh, you know, you, you got to dig deep with the person and earn their trust before you really get to that level. But it's incredibly common. And it's not just at that high level. It's all the way at the beginning. When somebody makes a decision to uh, speak their truth, get their message out to the world, start their own business, um, you know, become entrepreneurial. Um, who are you? Why do you deserve to be a coach, uh, information provider, a thought leader, any, like, like what's so special about you delivering this message? And I think a lot of people have this really strong fear that they're not really, you know, that, that somebody's going to figure out that they're just full of crap, even though in many cases they're not, they're just doing their best, but we're all human. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. And in the, in the coaching world, when I do uh, coach executives, there's no doubt that probably the biggest common theme you hear, and it's expressed in different ways, is um, some some version of uh, "I'm afraid I'm going to be found out." That uh, this imposter syndrome, 
And I do believe that when, when people recognize that they are not the only one or people who they think have got it all together or are experiencing the same things, it can reduce the grip that that fear can have on you. And you realize that, okay, well, that's no longer the defining factor. Because people think if I did just have my, my stuff together or I had more experience or if I was taller or shorter or skinnier or more muscles, then I would. And when they realize that that's all, it's all a myth. It's all, it's not the defining factor. It gives them perhaps a, an opportunity to your point. It depends how people re respond to that, but it gives them an opportunity to seize back control of their own destiny or their own actions or their own results that they're going to get. And um, so, if, so if you found someone who maybe has been blocked by that imposter syndrome or, um, you know, been, been, it's been sucking some energy out of them. What would you suggest, or what have you found that pe successful people who overcome that, what do they tend to do? The first thing I see is they have to get radically honest with themselves, uh, with their business model, with their purpose, with their legacy. So sometimes I've dealt with people where the imposter syndrome is actually kind of justified because they've been focusing on the ends justify the means. So they've either done some really shady stuff to get to where they're at. Mm -hmm. They've put out information and products where they justify it, where, hey, it doesn't matter. They're not going to open it anyway. Um, and they just focus on, well, we're just going to shock people so I'll get more followers. And they'll use concepts like, well, all that matters is that people are talking about you. It doesn't matter if they love you or hate you. And the truth is, they're looking at it wrong. What should really matter is what are you contributing to the world? And, you know, I think the uh, person I heard it from first that I loved uh, the way he put it was Les Brown had put together the idea of imagine if, uh, if he had to sit down and walk in front of like a tribunal and go through and answer those questions to decide if you get to live another year <laughs> based on your contributions to the world. And uh, and what are you really doing contributing to the society, to this culture? And for me, sometimes when I'm working with somebody, that'll create a whole new redirection. Yeah. I've had about 15 people in my span of my career that I've worked with that have completely changed their job over this process. One of the most exciting ones is there's a uh, woman named Anna who I met. She was very overweight, very sweet girl. And she was known as a uh, as a pastry chef to celebrities where she would make these candy apples and pastries and everything for all these big celebrity events. And I met her over at the MTV Movie Awards. And fast forward to four years, she's now a paleo keto chef and 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 a, and a coach and a nutrition coach herself. So she's completely changed her entire business model. She still makes her candy apples. But pretty much everything else that was unhealthy that she baked was terrible, and she swapped. So now she bakes all these incredible things mm. that are healthy and delicious, and she feels more aligned to a purpose, and she's a much happier human. Mm. So a lot of times what I see is, is the core crux of the transformation is sometimes, you know, I, a lot of times I like the idea where people say, you know, don't let your past define you and, and, you know, get out of that guilt and shame. But at the same point, if you're still walking down that path, 
that could be the biggest reason why you're holding on to all this extra weight, why you're drinking stuff to numb you, why you're not taking care of yourself, and why you kind of hate yourself is because you're acting out of authenticity of who you truly are. So for me, I would much rather treat my customers and treat the people I'm around as if they're my own grandmother. And it makes customer service and it makes living in integrity a lot easier. I like your idea of being radically honest with the situation and radically honest with yourself. And there's something to be said about the different the difference between being honest and radically honest. What's your interpretation of what's that level of being radically honest? What's the difference between that and being honest? Yeah, so honest is very gray. Uh, <laughs> honest is let's reveal one piece at a time and see how how it gets revealed. And the, <laughs> again, having kids really has taught me a ton about coaching where for example, if my daughter's done something, she'll, she'll reveal a little bit, see where it's at, see how we respond, and then reveal a little bit more. Oh, yeah, that too. And then something else, and then reveal a lot more, and that, that three. And uh, radical, you know, being radically honest is just cutting out all these safety bumpers. You know, honesty can be a lot like bumper bowling where you still have these cushions on either side and you really, you know, you want to tell the truth, but you're way too afraid that the deep, dark truth of every single little bit of what you're really thinking, feeling, expressing, how it's going to be judged or taken. So you, 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 you sugarcoat it. And I say, you know, be careful not to sugarcoat it because you're probably going to eat that too. And it makes me think that the difference, uh, what you're describing there is the difference between honesty and radical honesty is honesty is saying what is true. Radical honesty is saying the truth. You know, you might get, you give facts, you might get some facts, you might get part of the truth, but getting, being really, really true, which, which is not easy. And that gets circles again, back up to bumping up into some of those most vulnerable fears that people have. Um, so I agree with what you said about cutting out those safety bumpers and maybe having the right person, uh, the right environment, the right group where you feel safe sharing that. Um, I do th certainly think that speaking it out loud in some way is a great thing. Sharing it, sharing it to someone other than yourself, someone that can really hold you accountable. And I think a coach like the work that you do, and I'm sure that people appreciate you creating that space for them. Um, but I do believe that that's, people really want to make a transformation really want to make a transformation, they have to get radically, brutally honest, not in a self-defeating way, but in a way that just puts the cards on the table. And perhaps it leads you know, to the old saying of the truth will set you free. That way you can release yourself and really face that truth. It actually doesn't weaken you, it can strengthen you to really go forward. Um, and a lot of times I think people don't uh, focus on anything good they're doing, right? So they, they neglect any wins and they just focus on what's wrong, which just puts a magnifying glass on what's wrong, where it may actually be a pretty quick, easy fix. Yeah. So the, the real truth sometimes is way better than the image you're creating in your head. And a lot of times people are just kind of bored, so they turn something small into a massive story. And you're like, really? Really? Is that your real problem? Don't yeah. you think we can fix it in five minutes? And like, uh, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. So, 
Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that the story is what really gets in people's way. You know, as has been said, that the only thing that holds, that stops you from getting what you really want is the story as to why you can't have it. The ex- excuses, the justification, whatever it may be. And that can be stacking up over years as well. So um, definitely for anyone who's listening is if you want, if you do want to make a transformation, you've got to start with the, this inside work. Uh, what Kyle's talking about of being radically honest, being clear on what your the story is that you're telling yourself. At the same time, being clear on what is the legacy that you want to leave. And um, you know, we talked earlier, Kyle, that that the maybe the phases of health and wellness over the years started with do something that makes you get you healthy, do something that makes you fit. Now you want to transform your body. Of course, there's another next level. And recently. You know, with the advances of technology and investments in this part of the world, let alone the challenges that we're having globally with, with uh, diabetes and obesity and really struggling with health, um, you've really gone to the, the far end. You've really gone to the next level in looking at longevity. And you sp- recently spent some time at the Human Longevity Institute. Tell us what that experience is like and what did you learn from there? Yeah, it's, uh, it's becoming a really big, important piece of my life. A lot of people talk about how long they want to live until. Um, but I think healthy, functional, vibrant vitality combined with that longevity is really the key. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people who are (laughs) darn near dead at 40. They may be alive, but they're kind of walking, moving brain fog blobs who, are so boxed in out of their comfort zone that they look and move and feel and act and talk and think like they're 90. So typically those stories that we sell ourselves on are different depending on where we are. And for me growing up out in the Midwest, most of the 40 year olds I know uh, act like they're 80 and all they do is talk about yesteryear. And they have this belief when it comes to genetics that everything is a genetic predisposition or is like a genetic life sentence. Like, oh, well, my family is all genetically obese and my family genetically has this disease and my family has this. And with the Human Longevity Institute and different groups and partnerships that I have, um, we're working actually on a new project right now called Bloom, which is going to be like a home lab. Uh, through an app where you, through your analysis, you can end up finding out all your own internal scores and really take the power back in yourself is through understanding what's called epigenetics, which is the ability to look at something not as a genetic life sentence, but a genetic predisposition. So you may be predisposed to something, but that you can alter your genetics through the way you think through the way you act, through how you eat, through uh, how you move, and also through how you handle your stress, your hormones, and your recovery. And looking at not what's not important isn't your genetic predisposition, but what's called your genetic expression, which is like, how do these things come out in the world? And what that does is that it flips the whole idea on its head, and it puts most of the power in your hands. Now, when the power is in your hands, that doesn't mean that you can defy certain things that are just really unexplainable. So for example, my daughter is a type one diabetic. And at this point, um, 
it, it is what it is. There's nothing that we could have done different to get rid of that autoimmune disease. It just happens. And you just have to deal with the cards you're given. But again, it doesn't mean you take a victim mindset. You know, you take a warrior mindset and say, all right, what's going on in the space of stem cells and epigenetics and longevity that we can find a way to not only have the highest quality of life possible to work around the conditions and obstacles that we're given, but also think, believe, and dream that the way technology is moving, that there will be cures for all these things and that you can be part of them because things move so fast these days that you'll be blown away. You know, where we're going to be in 10 years isn't the same distance equivalent to where we were 10 years ago. Things are moving at an exponential rate. So 10 years from now, <laughs> I personally think hardly anything we see nowadays is even going to be recognizable. What's your current uh, belief, I suppose, as to how long how long can humans live with good health? Uh, yeah, at, at, uh, let's say as of today, 2019, what's a, what do you believe is the upper, I won't call it a limit, but maybe the upper range of where humans can live with good health? Where do you think it's going to be in 10 years? Where do you think it's going to be? Where can it go? How far can it go? So people who are at the forefront of this longevity space, who are not only studying the genome, but who are also living the lifestyle and really heavily involved in biohacking, um, which is like hacking your biology to express the best version of yourself. Um, there are a lot of my peers and leaders and colleagues who really believe that you can live and that the humans who are around today by making the right decisions have the potential to live to 150. Now, has anybody done it yet? No, but that doesn't mean it's not possible, right? I'm a huge advocate of paleolithic nutrition, which then has turned into the paleo diet and, and been you know, modernized and there's pros and cons. I, I'm more paleo ish, but during those times, a lot of times people were living to in their thirties, right? So why would there not be an expansion of that lifespan? If you're taking good care of yourself and optimal care of yourself, the problem is we're in a time where for the first time ever, we're moving in the wrong direction as a society. So it's kind of like, well, you have to put your own oxygen mask on first, lead by example, and then start trying to help others. Uh, because the truth is nobody wants to be proselytized to and told what to do in their food, in their religion, in their lifestyle. Nobody wants to hear your opinion unless they're writing you a check or they're asking for it. Mm. So for me, it's much more of a leading by example concept where I try to inspire others through my actions, not through trying to force it down their throat and let them get to a point where they believe that it's possible. But at the end of the day, you could be the healthiest person in the world, taking great care of yourself. And sometimes nature has a different plan. And I know that very well from what happened in January, sitting in a critical care unit going, what, why, how, and what am I gonna do about it? Yeah. I have, um, I agree, nature can't have a different plan. And at the same time that we have a lot more control and influence over our longevity. And again, that doesn't just mean how old you are, but how healthy with age are you? 
Uh, we have a lot more control than we think. And I've developed a belief. I just turned 48 this week. Uh, it still feels like the wrong number to say. I, I feel like I'm about 34, not awesome. 48. Um, I, have a, I have a belief that didn't come from one particular place, but just kind of I've adopted it from a variety of reasons and sources that the window between age 45 and 55 is one of the most important windows from taking care of your body and your mind, your soul, your spirit for long-term health, that it sets you on a different trajectory. And part of that belief is something I kind of want to sanity check and see if, if you, you um, have any counter thoughts to this, but I kind of, you know, if you party hard, work hard in your twenties and thirties, your body's a lot more resilient. And there is some, some age, um, uh, chronological age mapping to how your body naturally gets responded. Now, again, I believe that I agree with you that that is changing in our modern world, especially with the very dysfunctional diet, mainstream diet that we have, certainly in the Western world. Um, so you can kind of get by for a while, at least looking, maybe feeling okay, maybe even pretty good in your twenties and thirties by the work hard, party hard, uh, sacrifice, sleep, you know, push yourself extremely, but it starts to really show up in your forties and fifties. And if you don't redirect your habits, redirect your, your beliefs or, uh, redirect how you're fueling yourself and that can make the difference between your trajectory kind of falling off the cliff in your sixties and seventies or going up, uh, continuing to climb into your eighties, nineties, hundreds and above and beyond. Am I, uh, am I, uh, am I on the right track or am I barking up the wrong tree? I think you're spot on with it. Uh, resiliency is, is the real change of, of focus, uh, not only in your body, but also in your mind. And, um, I really think you talk a lot of things into existence. So I see so many people in their thirties now going, ah, we're at 30 and we're old or this, and we can't do what we did in our twenties and this and this and this. And then I see people in their forties and are like, you might as well just pack it in and throw the, throw it away. Like it's done. And, this, and it's, it's, you, you create this belief system that is so strong that I can't do this and I can't do that. And I have to accept my age. Um, so I think those are the key years where you have to um, not have a midlife crisis, but have a, a new sense of an awareness. And I have seen people who just defy all of it. You know, on the fitness side, you've got Mike O'Hearn at 50, who can put all the 20 year olds to shame. On the endurance side, you've got somebody like Willie Galt, who's a world record holder in the 100 for when he was 35 to 45, and then he kept doing it every five years, moving his way up. And he's now in the 55 to 60. He doesn't look like he aged since he was a running back or, you know, the wide receiver for the Bears back in 85. Yes. And yes. it's because instead of viewing himself as somebody who needs to lose weight or as, you know, anything else, he views himself as an athlete, a lifelong athlete. And when you take that athlete kind of mindset and apply it to whatever you do for a living and you treat your body more along those lines, um, you just hold yourself to a higher standard. Yes. You say, yeah, that's for you. That's normal, but that's not me. And based on all the things that you've learned in your work and your exposure to some of the world's best, if, 
if you could sit down with your 20-year-old self, with all of the wisdom that you have, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self today? Step into your greatness now. Don't be so shy, reserved, angry, pissed off. Believe in yourself now. Everybody you think that has their shit together really doesn't. They're faking it. Uh, they're in the same boat you're in right now. So just, just, just be happy. Don't take things so seriously and just, uh, just do you. <laughs> I think it. that's what I tell myself. I love it. And the bookend of that question is what advice do you think your 70 year old self would give you today at your, whatever age you're at? I think my 70-year-old self would come back to my 41-year-old self, so where I'm at right now, and say, stop being so hard on yourself. Probably the same advice they'd say to my 20-year-old self. Mm -hmm. Believe in yourself. Everything you're doing is great. You're at the right place at the right time. It's really funny. Uh, everyone thinks that peer pressure um, – and and all those types of issues, they go away with awareness. And I really think that part of the human condition is realizing that, yes, they may go away on some level, and you may have the deeper awareness, but even the people that I see that, that tend to just get it at the highest level, they still feel have and and they still have the ups and downs. They're still having this human experience and it's okay. What, what I find that is different is they bounce back quicker. They're more resilient. If they get knocked down, it's not for days, weeks, months. It's like, wow, that hit me. Okay. Use all the tools that I have trained myself in to focus on being the quickest, you know, best version of myself. And I think that's resiliency. Um, but, I really think the resiliency is the key to all of it. But it's kind of funny you say that. I think I would say to my 41-year-old self when I'm 71, the same thing my 41-year-old self <laughs> said to my 20-year-old self. Well, I think that is sage advice. And I agree, you are doing great work. And the world needs more of your work. So uh, my 48-year-old self would advise you to keep being great at what you're doing and uh, continue to be curious and explore. Um, before I ask the final question, where can people connect with you, learn more about your work and get in touch with you? Awesome. Uh, well, first off, thank you so much for having me on today and, uh, love connecting with you. You and I are very like-minded, which is an absolute blast. And I hope everyone listening is getting some great value out of this. And if you want to connect, learn more, um, uh, social media, through on Instagram and Facebook, it's Real Kyle Brown, and uh, our companies are Fit CEO and Fit Three Sixty Five Shakes. You can follow both of those at Fit CEO VIP on Instagram and Fit Three Six Five on Instagram uh, or Facebook as well. Great, we'll include those in our show notes for sure. So the final question I want to ask you, Kyle, is reflecting on all that we've discussed today and all the work that you've been doing for people to truly step up to their next level and transform their health and fitness, what is one myth they need to see as a myth? And what is one truth that if they embrace that truth, 
it would make all the difference in the world for them. The myth that I think people need to get over is that anybody on the outside is really spending their time watching, looking at, scrutinizing them, and that they actually give a crap. They don't. Nobody cares. Nobody is watching. We live in a day and age where people are so caught up in their own crap and they're so caught up and distracted by social media that the kind of people you want to attract into your life that will lift you up when you fall, that don't care if you make a fool of yourself, that are the kind of people you want to hang out and party with, they aren't doing that. So they're not going to judge you anyway. So if you can kind of get over yourself and not have that fear of failure or the fear of being exposed or the fear of, uh, you know, exposed for like slipping or falling on not doing perfect on your program, if you can get over that, you're going to soar. And then uh, tell me that second question again. The, the, the flip side of that is what's the one truth that if they embrace that truth would make all the difference in the world? that all of the answers are already within. All of the answers are already there, which may say, hey, Kyle, you're a coach. Why did you just chase away business? My job as a coach isn't to give you all the answers. That never works. It's to help you discover them within yourself. And you have to know that you have all the resources. It's a book a lecture, a coach, a seminar, anything that else that you get out there. It's not about the secret magic formula. It's about realization of your own greatness and knowing how to express that and get the hell out of your own way. Once you can do that, you're golden. You already have it all. I agree with that wisdom and I agree with your myth as well that no one is watching. Um, Really appreciate you sharing all your wisdom and, and showing up and bringing your greatness to this conversation, Kyle. Um, for those who are listening, check out the show notes. We'll have all the links to uh, how to get in touch with Kyle in our show notes. And um, continue to do what you do, Kyle. The world needs you. And, um, and I appreciate your time. I appreciate you. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it as well. That was Kyle Brown, passionate advocate for all things health and wellness. You can find Kyle at all the links in our, in our show notes. And remember, this show is only valuable if you apply what you learned. And most learning is generated from reflection. So we'd love to hear from you and love to hear you to report back on what you learned or found interesting. Go to theignitionshow.com slash connect and let us know what struck you. What was it that you heard today that you really needed to hear today? You can leave us a voice message or join our Facebook group and participate in the conversation there where we'd love to hear your comments or follow-up questions. Also, be sure to check out the after show of this episode. That is a shorter follow-up episode where we, that's my wife and business partner Sarah and I, talk about what we learned from this interview, what we took away, and how these ideas have shown up in our lives on a more personal level. As always, if you like what you hear, subscribe and rate the show or leave a review on iTunes. It helps others find us and helps us get better. We actually read every single review and comment that comes through iTunes, Facebook, and our website and respond to as many people as we can. And remember, whatever you dream of, 
Whatever you hoped for and secretly wished you had, you're closer than you think you are, you're meant to have it, and you deserve it. Until next time, I'm Chris Jansen, and this is The Ignition Show.